You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Morning. Uh, it's great to be able to share with you today. Um, and. Just before I really get into it, and while there's some sort of shuffling and things like that, I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever had that dream, okay, where (laughs) some of you might know where I'm going to go with this, actually the dream where you feel restricted and slowed down, have you ever had that, where you've got to get to something or get away from something and it just feels like you're walking through treacle, or or the other kind of dream that you're not correctly dressed, you know, for an important meeting, and I've definitely had that before. I don't know what causes that kind of dream, what kind of anxiety would be in my head, but I've definitely had that moment in my dream, and it feels so real sometimes, doesn't it? Where, you know, when I was a teacher, uh, for some reason I turned up without clothes to to teach in school, and and the head teacher was going to come and uh, sack me, because obviously that's really bad. Uh, And if you maybe had that kind of dream before, um, or in reality, okay, have you ever got to the point where you're about to leave the house and you're in a rush, you're going to an important meeting or something like that, and you're like, where's my shoes? Or, oh, I can't find my jacket or whatever. And and there's a kind of flurry of activity as you're trying to find this, or as men, you're trying to get your wife out of the door. All the clocks in my house are 10 minutes fast. <laughs> oh dear. It's, it's, it's semi-true. I, I always say to Jess, I want to leave the house at 10 to 9, because then I know that I'll... I'll... Sorry, Jess, I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop there. You know, when you have an important meeting or an uh, important encounter, it's really important that you're appropriately attired, Right? Uh, we'll come back to that in a minute, but welcome. We're, we're in the book of Philippians, and last week we kind of looked at those verses where Paul actually prays for the Philippians, and we noted this incredible thing that Paul was praying from a place of chains. He, he was p- praying from a place of restrictions and limitations and uncertainty. And I'm not sure about you guys, but if I was in a dingy little dungeon, a dingy little Roman prison wearing chains around my ankles, I probably wouldn't feel too chipper about it. And yet Paul manages this incredible prayer and this incredible letter despite all of those chains. He doesn't see them as a roadblock. In fact, I think he sees these chains as a launch pad rather than as a restriction. And so I ask this question, how do we pray from our chains? Do do we retreat? Do do we kind of close up shop? Do, Do we let the silence fall and we don't know how to fill that void? Or perhaps we focus on ourselves or our kind of circumstances. Maybe we get into a place of self pity or kind of just damage control. And I said at the end that if the focus of our prayer is restrictions and limitations, or if it's primarily self-focused, then our prayers will always be restricted and limited. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for yourself. I think that's entirely right and appropriate. But when the damage is there, when the circumstances are there, do we first go into ourselves and start praying for ourselves? Or do we pray out from that? 
And Paul was able to pray in such a powerful way because his value and his security and therefore his focus was not in himself or on himself or his circumstances and he was able to look up and look out. So let's quickly have a recap of that prayer which is up on the screen now. And and Paul says this, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through the Lord Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Now, last week, we focused heavily in on love, that first bit, let love abound more and more. And and we discussed, like Graham's really mentioned from John 16 today, that that love can't flow out of us unless it's first flowing into us. And what kind of love are we talking about? We are talking about God. We are talking about his love. Um, I'm not going to recap that whole thing now, don't worry. Uh, If you missed last week's message and you want to catch up with that, because I think it was an important message for us to hear about how the Father loves us and how then that is applied in our lives. You can catch that on our podcast. But the abiding question is this. What kind of gospel are we talking about? What kind of God are we talking about? And so what does that mean in practice in our lives? And there's three important words I'd love us to look at today. Those words are so, through, and to. In the text, so, through, and to. So, because there is a because. There's a reason why Paul is praying this. There's a reason why he asks that their love may abound more and more, so that. So there's a purpose behind it. There's a through, because this isn't innate to us. This isn't like in us, and we've just got to find that good place in our hearts and let that overflow. Whatever transforms and conforms and changes, it is not we and our effort that achieves it. So there is a through, and then there's a two, because we are not the beneficiaries of this. Uh, it is something beyond ourselves. So let's have a look at so, or rather so that. And I kind of touched on this last week. What is the purpose to Paul saying, I pray that your love may abound more and more. There's a reason attached to the receipt and the growth of this love, this knowledge, this depth of insight in our lives. And it's not simply that we receive like love and are happy, okay? That's not the primary kind of so, okay, that we're happy, fulfilled. It's actually achieving something deeper here than my sense of feeling and well-being, okay? Paul prays that our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that we may, A, be able to discern what is best or what is right, and B, that we may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That is the so. Two things right there. To discern is the first thing, and and that's about identifying rightness. How do I know what is right, what is true, what is accurate when there are so many voices 
in society, in the world, and even in the Christian church. So many opinions. And then pure and blameless is about being identified to have rightness. So discernment is about identifying rightness, and pure and blameless is to be found to have rightness, to be dressed, to be prepared, to have your shoes on effectively, so that when we stand before him, we are appropriately dressed. Let me pause. Every single one of us is going to stand before Jesus. I don't want it to be that kind of dream. I I want to be appropriately dressed when I stand before him. As the psalmist says, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord or stand in his holy place, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart? Well, I've got a problem here. Because if that's the standard by which I need to stand in front of Jesus, pure hands, pure heart, clean life, clean clothes, I've got a deep, deep, deep problem going on here because I am far from blameless and pure in myself. Left to my own wisdom, left to my own understanding, I might have many opinions. I really do. (laughs) So do you. I might draw many conclusions, even about Scripture itself, and I find that often they are wrong. Jesus says the heart is deceitful above all things. So why would I expect mine to be different in that? And sometimes I might stumble across the right opinions, the right things, but generally my thinking on its own is flawed and biased. It's biased towards myself. I think there's a problem with everybody else sometimes and not with me. So how do I measure and scrutinize and test these thoughts and opinions? How, how do I become pure? And Paul's answer is abounding in love, in knowledge and depth of insight, which leads to discernment, which then leads to transformation. Okay? This is not just about knowing in an academic kind of sense. Like, you could learn scripture word for word. I mean, you'd be pretty impressive if you could do that. But from Genesis to Revelation, if anyone was able to learn it word for word from start to finish, well, that's one thing. But that knowledge is not enough. There's something beyond knowledge that we need in order to discern. Okay, How many of you know how to read an OS map? Well, there's actually, okay, there's quite a few of you. I I have to be honest, I don't have a clue. Okay, (laughs) so I'll just put that out there right now. But what I do know is that there's a big difference between knowing what the symbols are on the map and knowing what the lines mean and what the numbers mean and being able to read the map. There's a big difference between that and taking that map and standing in a field and applying that map to the landscape. There's a huge difference. I know that the lines are contours. I know the closer they are together, that means it's steeper. But what I can't necessarily do is navigate my way across the Cairngorms if you just gave me an OS map. I would be lost. And so when we come to Scripture, knowing Scripture, 
in an academic sense is not enough. We need to know how to stand in the field and discern what the landscape is and how it relates to the map we have in our hand. Being able to do that is wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge without wisdom is reckless. Think about that. Knowledge without wisdom is reckless. Scripture as God's word is something that we should apply to the field we are in. So we need to submit our thinking to Scripture and to the Holy Spirit. Scripture, we believe implicitly that this is the Word of God, start to finish, inerrant. There might be through the years commas, exclamation marks out of place, but this is the inerrant Word of God. If you're a Christian, that's what you believe. There's no other space. There's no, it's, yeah, but what about this story? That's not really meant. No, this is, start to finish, the Word of God. There's things I don't understand. If I'm honest, there's things I don't like. But I take it as the Word of God, and I say, God, I'm going to trust you in this. So let me ask you a question. When we open the Bible, do we want it to challenge us, or do we want to challenge it? There's a massive difference. Because either we bring our preferences and our logic and our desires and our culture and our ideology and understanding, our rationale to Scripture, or we bring Scripture to our knowledge and our preferences and our desires and our ideology and let Scripture shape them. That's the only way round that has any safety whatsoever. Does God's Word shape you, or are you trying to shape God's Word? Paul, in Romans 12, you might be familiar with this, he refers to this, he says, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then, this is very similar, then you will be able to test and approve, see, discern, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you want to know what God wants for you, apply this to the field that you're standing in. How often do we sing, I love that song, Lord, Renew My Mind. It's it's an older song now, Lord, I come to you. uh, And and we sing that line, Lord, renew my mind. Let your will unfold in my life. I sing that sometimes with feeling and keep that closed. But I want to allow him the space to speak into my life. Listen, when love, with knowledge and depth of insight, abound in our lives, they yield this productive transformation by the renewing of our minds. And in doing so, they become like a spiritual fruit factory. It's this transformation and renewing that is ensuring that we are pure and blameless for the day of Christ, that we are filled with the fruit of his righteousness, which comes through. And this is a really important distinction here. 
If we are trying to cultivate our own fruit of our own righteousness, we will find it to be lacking on the day of Christ. How many times do we put pressure on ourselves, on our church, on our friends, on on, on Christians around us to behave? And I'm not saying this therefore means that we can just cast off restraint and, well, hey, just do whatever we, we fancy, okay? I, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying ignore all of the law. I, I'm not saying that. But if we are trying to establish ourselves to be right, then that is like turning up undressed when we stand before him. Worse than undressed We're wearing clothes that literally mock him. If we are trying to do the right ourselves, we can't do it. One of you, tell me who's perfect in this room. What, nobody pointing at me? (laughs) Come on. I'm even wearing a waistcoat, for goodness sake. It's the thing, that's the thing, isn't it? How many of us can stand before Jesus based on our own sense of righteousness? based on our own good deeds, based on our own good works. How many of us could stand before him and have a hope? The thing is, we want him to grow fruit in our lives and not grow our own fruit because fruit can look good and be poisonous. There's this thing, if you've ever watched the Bear Grylls kind of, Bear Grylls Island or whatever documentary, there's this thing called a death apple. I mean, that sounds pretty bad. Like... (laughs) Just the name of that thing makes me want to avoid eating it. The death apple. Like, don't touch that. There's a mushroom called the death cap. I mean, the clue's in the name. You, don't, you just don't touch this. It might look really good. It might look appetizing. It might look healthy. But to eat it is death and destruction. And sometimes we could be guilty of producing fruit in our lives that is destructive. And fruit that looks good can also be immature. It needs to grow. You know, like avocados always do my nut in because there seems to be this like one minute kind of timeline between them being really hard or just brown mush in the center, you know. But fruit, an avocado that is not mature is a pointless thing to have. And if you eat it, it's going to give you tummy ache. And sometimes that the fruit that is growing in our life needs that time, needs that attention of the master gardener to bring that fruit to maturity so that it's good. And then fruit that looks good can also be rotten inside. And you bite into it and you have to spit it out. My fruit is rubbish fruit. And the world keeps pressing in Show me your fruit. Show me how good you are. Show me how good looking you are. You know, do this, do this. We were watching a show the other day uh, about Dubai, and there was this one lady who was a model, and and she just said to to the guy, the photographer, my back looks a bit fat in that. Can you airbrush it? Like, there's this pressure on us to look like something, to be like something, and everything in society is saying, do this, do this, do this. Prove yourself. Look good enough. Be good enough. And it's all rotten. Here's the truth. We will produce the kind of fruit 
in keeping with the tree that we are grafted into. If we're grafted into the tree of society, we're going to produce society's fruit. If we're grafted into the tree of culture, we're going to produce culture's fruit. If we're grafted into the tree of self, we're going to produce selfish fruit. And Jesus says that we can know a tree by its fruit. He says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. He goes on to say, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. We have to balance that with Jesus saying, the heart is deceitful above all things. How do I have a good heart? I need God to give me a heart transplant. That's how I know I've got a good heart, because it's his heart in me. For out of the mouth, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Good fruit comes from a good tree. What kind of tree? What kind of fruit? It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of Christ's righteousness. If you go to Galatians 5, we know what these fruit look like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it's fruit, it's not fruits. So this isn't like a a pick and mix, like, oh, I'm, I'm great at patience, but I'm really rubbish at love. Or, you know, I'm great at gentleness, but actually my, my patience needs to increase a little bit. It's the whole package, the whole lot is the fruit. If we see this growing in our lives, it is evidence that the Spirit is bringing that through our lives and growing it in us. And the reason is because we are grafted into Jesus and his righteousness. As you said this morning, I am the vine and you are the branches. John 15, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me you can do nothing. These verses in Romans 12 talk about being transformed. But if you look back, because everything in the Bible is there for a reason, there's no abstract little verses that we just stick on a coffee cup, right? Everything in the Bible has a purpose to where it is in the Bible. And to get proper context, to really apply wisdom to this, we we need to look at the whole picture of what's going on around the verse that we're reading, even if it's great just to read that one verse. Uh, And when Paul is talking in Romans 12 about being transformed by the renewing of our mind, what he's been talking about in Romans 11 is about Israel being like a cultivated olive tree and the Gentiles, that's us, most of us, being grafted into that cultivated tree. Why are you laughing? Sorry? (laughs) Yeah, well, semi, semi Jewish. (laughs) So we are grafted We're attached to that same cultivated tree. And it is Jesus who we are grafted into. His righteousness produced. He is the vine. We are the branches. The fruit that we produce in our life cannot come about except by being connected to him. Uh, 
while our purity and blameless for the day of Jesus, it does depend to some measure on how we receive and apply love and knowledge and discernment to some measure. But bear this in mind. It is his work. As we bring ourselves into submission to his word and to his spirit, we allow him to transform us. Romans 12 talks about offering our bodies as living sacrifice. Everything that I am is yours. And in doing that, that's my part. My part isn't the better. This is my part. Complete submission to him. That's my part. Bow low. Lord, you take everything. Every ounce of my life. Every thought I want to bring captive to you. Everything I have is yours. It's your breath in my lungs. So really when I praise you, I'm just giving back to you what you've already given me. And I'm giving the glory that is due your name. But it is his righteousness that I am receiving. It's not a reward for me adhering to all these rules. It is for me bowing down before him and saying, I can't do this. I am not worthy. I need you, Jesus. It's his good work. And this transformation, we've already seen this, it's an ongoing renewing of the mind. You know that verse earlier that said, he who began a good work in you, when you first bowed your life to Jesus Christ, he began a good work in you. And what's the beauty of this promise? It's that he will bring it to completion. He will grow his fruit in my life. As I draw near to Jesus, I will look and smell and taste more like Jesus. A a pastor of my brother's years ago was going through a park and they were very outward in in, in how they were in the town. And these these, uh, drunk guys came up to them. And and I don't want to be derogatory, they were drunk drug users. uh, Junkies in in a sense. And they came up to my brother and to his pastor. And do you know what they said? You stink of Jesus. That's what they said. You stink of Jesus. And they were like, hallelujah. (laughs) That's amazing. I, I when two weeks after I got saved, I was walking down the high street in Gosport, and this woman came up to me, and she was like, "Lucky Heather." She wasn't talking about a lady called Heather. She, she was actually talking about the plant Heather. She was waving it. She she was into witchcraft and into this sort of spiritualist, new agey kind of stuff, and she was trying to hand off this lucky Heather to me. And I said, "No thanks, I don't need it." And she went, "You're a Christian," like that. I was like, how did you know? That's amazing. All I said was, no, I don't need it. That could be for a million reasons. And yet she identified immediately, you're a Christian. I was two weeks in. I hadn't had a chance to get all my things in order. I was still smoking. I was still kind of drinking way too much. I still had really inappropriate thoughts, conversations. I was a mess. A happy mess because Jesus was in the midst of it, transforming me from the inside. By the way, I'm still a happy mess that Jesus is... (laughs) Restoring from the inside. This abounding love with knowledge and depth of insight literally dresses us 
to be ready to meet Jesus. I love this song. When he shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless, to stand before the throne. What good news, guys. That's good news. Because if I stand before Jesus as I am, without any intervention from him, he's not going to find me faultless. He's not going to find me dressed in righteousness. But when I bow my life before Jesus and he puts his righteousness on me and grows his righteousness through me, I know even if I am a complete stuff up in many aspects of my life, I stand before him dressed in his righteousness. I mean, think about that, guys. What are you carrying that you feel guilty about, ashamed about, regret about? What anxieties do you have? What areas of your life do you look at and think, I wish I was better. I'm so fed up with myself. And yet you can stand before the King of Kings, dressed in his righteousness. Should that put a smile on our face? Should that put a hallelujah in our hearts? Clothed in his righteousness, filled with his fruit, This isn't performance. I'm just going to start bringing this in, but I just want to encourage you, there is no room in the kingdom for virtue signaling. Do you know what I mean by virtue signaling? It's where you try and signpost in your own life where you're good. It's why Jesus says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing when when it comes to generosity, when it comes to giving. It doesn't mean legalistically go, oh, better make sure nobody looks when I put this in the plate. It doesn't mean that. It's about the heart, because it's the heart that's deceitful above all things. There's no room in the kingdom for that kind of virtue signaling. Look at me. Look at how good I am at being a Christian, at doing this. Look at how loving I am. Look at how generous I am. Be loving. Be generous. Let your actions do the talking. Let the fruit of the Spirit growing in your life do the talking. Don't, you don't need to signpost it. There's ample signposts. Signposts enough. Because God will always glorify himself through his fruit of righteousness. It's received into our account. As Paul says in Ephesians, by grace through faith not by works, so that we have no place to boast. That is what makes us unchained, even when there are chains around our ankles. You know, the Righteous Brothers, I think it was them, they penned that song, Unchained Melody. Oh, my love. I'm not going to say it. That would be really embarrassing for all of you. Slightly awkward as well. You know, it's Christ's righteousness that unchains us. That's his unchained melody to you. His righteousness imputed to you. So I'm going to wrap this up because there's the two. Okay, and this is mega important. It's to the glory of God. All of this. Yeah, we benefit. Yes, we receive his love and that is a wonderful thing. And as I said last week, receiving his love isn't about feeling it, it's about knowing it. Being able to take this and trust it even when we don't feel it. Like, that is such a gift, but even that is to the glory of God. 
the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I, I dread to think what the longer one looked like. But the Shorter Catechism uh, of Westminster was an agreement between different churches, England, Scotland, I think Ireland and Wales as well, an agreement on certain points of what it means to, to be a believer, to honour God. And the first thing that they come up with is this question, what is the chief end of man? And the very first answer they put is man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You know that when you enjoy God, you glorify God? How beautiful is this today? Have any of you come in just with your heart a little bit lighter, a little bit happier this morning, going, wow, this is a beautiful day. Like, that glorifies God. You enjoying this glorifies God. I took a photo of the moon this morning because it looked so gorgeous as it rose and it was bright orange and, and it was just like, whoa, that looks crazy. And, and me just go, wow, that's amazing, glorifies God, it's to his glory. Me enjoying is to God's glory. Uh, Psalm 86, all the nations you have made will come and worship before you. They will bring glory to your name. Romans 11:36. from him, through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And then his enjoyment. Isaiah 12.2 Surely God is my salvation. I'll trust in him and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. God wants you to enjoy this. He wants you to experience joy. And I know for some of you, that is a distant concept. Nearly 24 months of COVID, of lockdowns, of restrictions. And even if you're like me, sometimes you thought those restrictions are entirely necessary. Other times you've completely questioned them all. They don't seem logical. They're like you ebb and flow. And how you see other people and how they obey restrictions or not. Your feelings about them probably ebbs and flows as well. Sometimes, you know, I've been really like, because somebody's been walking through the supermarket just not seeming to care. And like, I'm getting some butter and they're leaning all over me like this. I mean, that's just rude anyway, to be honest. But, but then at other times during the pandemic, I've just been like, I don't care. Like, I, I honestly, I, I feel okay with this. And, and there's these ebbs and flows, but it's confusing. And it is stealing joy. And when you think about Brexit, when you think, and I don't mind what your political persuasion is on that, by the way. This is not a political comment right here. But all of the confusion, all of the stuff that's been pressing down on our hearts and robbing joy, stealing focus, like stealing confidence, increasing anxiety, increasing mental illness, increasing depression in our lives. All of this. And maybe now joy seems like a very distant, kind of unattainable concept. But the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. And as we recognize that I can stand before him, faultless before his throne, suddenly, like, joy increases a little bit. 
And as I choose to enjoy him, I don't get this right every day. There are days where I'd rather just stay under my duvet. Uh, not even to watch telly. Like, days where I don't want to leave the house. Particularly, like yesterday when it was grey and overcast, and you just feel sluggish. And even then, I know that if I choose to praise, if I choose, even if I speak words before my heart believes it, that changes things. It does. So I'm going to choose joy. And I'm going to recognise that that joy is accessible, that my heart sometimes deceives me, that my mind sometimes deceives me, but my position in Christ is secure. Can we stand together, Ian? If you're... I just want to pray into this. Because you might be feeling now, yes, but. Yes, but. You, you don't know what my life's like. Yes, you, you don't know what it's like to go to my workplace and, and have my boss, like, hammering me, like, bullying me. You, you don't know what it's like to be in this position or this position or this position. You don't know what it's like to have your mind working in this particular way. And yeah, you're right, I don't. But what I do know is that Jesus is Lord above all of that. And I have to go to him and say, I need to believe you at your word, because if not, I might as well just ditch this all right now call it out to be a lie but I don't believe that this is a lie because I have perceived his presence in my life I I feel like I have climbed those mountains sometimes with him and enjoyed him on those mountain peaks and even though sometimes I'm down in the valley and it stinks I know that he is with me even when I'm in the valley of the shadow of death he is with me amen even if I don't feel it, he is with me. It's why when my mum died in front of my eyes, I knew Jesus in the room. She knew Jesus in the room, probably for the first time in her life, she knew Jesus. What is dying in your life right now? What feels like the valley of the shadow? Just do this, declare, From where you are right now, I am going to trust you regardless of what it looks like. Lift up my eyes, Lord. Lift up my eyes.